Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion, that USDA program. It's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. David Axelrod recently got a gift in the mail. It was a box of political pins that captured the unique role that the former top Obama strategist has carved out for himself as a 2024 political commentator. The message on the pins? Pricks for Biden. As a lot of you probably know, Axelrod has used his many platforms, two podcasts, CNN punditry, and regular interviews with political reporters, to offer a lot of unvarnished advice for and criticism of Joe Biden. In November, he suggested that Biden think long and hard about running for re-election at all. He has been withering about Biden's skills as a candidate and communicator. He has been deeply concerned about the president's age. Unlike other Democrats in the anti-bedwetting set, Axe has been clear that the party should be freaked out by the polls. All of this has made Axelrod a bit of an irritant to the president. Thus, the joke pins. My colleague Jonathan Martin reported in the fall that Biden recently used the P-word to describe Axelrod. Mike Murphy, the Republican strategist who co-hosts their excellent Hacks on Tap podcast with Axelrod, recently joked that if Biden were to get too close to Axe, the president may end up convicted of manslaughter. I mean, hell, Biden could be looking at 10 years if he gets within three feet of you. Axelrod retorted. I'm too quick (laughs) for him. I sat down with David, who I've known for a long time, at the Hotel Fort Des Moines on Wednesday morning, and we discussed his critiques of the Biden operation, the parallels with 2012 when he was in charge of strategy for the Obama re-election, what it's like to be a critic of your own party when most partisans these days are expected to mouth the party line, and a lot more. I'm Ryan Lizza, and this is Playbook Deep Dive. At the reunion, you guys had your 15th uh, year reunion mm-hmm. for the 2008 campaign. Um, you talked about recently how the Biden folks put the strategy memo together and about uh, the coming campaign. Um, and what, yeah. you weren't very impressed with it. Well, Tell us a little bit about that. Anna. Yeah, I'm... Well, the only thing that was odd about yeah. it, I mean, look, you don't release a public memo for, um, uh, you know, and air all your, uh, all your concerns and this and that. But, um, you know, I mean, the thing, I, leaving the memo aside, the thing I found aggravating is when you have people out there uh, calling people who have concerns bedwetters. Your buddy Jim Messina. Uh, I don't, you know, I think that's deeply, deeply unhelpful because sometimes there's reason to be concerned. Yeah. And there are a lot of really smart, uh, and committed supporters of Biden who had concerns. And, you know, it's a little bit like jawboning people to feel better about the economy. You know, you can't, you know, it's like, the people care about the economy to, 
Yeah. We're, the economy's yeah. good. People care about the polls. The polls are okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you can't do that. You know, what you need to do is think, is, is, is contemplate what it is that is, is concerning yeah. people and, and, and decide what is legitimate and what needs to be done. There are people who are really, really committed to Joe Biden who, you know, felt a, a sense of concern and urgency, particularly because Donald Trump is on the other side of this race. And, um, is so that, I thought it was it was it was extraordinarily tone deaf and unhelpful. Why do you think Messina is such a? Um, I don't know. You have to ask Jim. Yeah, but it's okay. Um, I heard you joke recently. That's first, always a bad first way of all, to start. I, I should I should confess. I love hack. I love the Axe yeah, Files. Thank I love, you. I love Hacks and Taps. Yeah. Hacks on Taps. Two very different shows, but um, yeah, I'm sure almost all of our listeners listen to both of them. They're they're great. Uh, there was a very funny exchange on Hacks recently where uh, Murphy was joking about if how if, if Donald Trump wins, he's going to have to leave the country, and you were joking that if <laughs> or someone joked if Biden wins, you're going to have to leave the country. Yeah, what just what's it been like being the skunk at the at, at the party on some no. of this stuff? You know, what? do you do you lo- are you one of those people that kind of love it? No, and, and, no, I don't and, love it. But, but I, and I don't, and I'm you know, the, the, I I don't. Our, love our it. buddy J Mart reported recently that the president himself has a nickname for you. Yeah, do you want to tell us, listeners what it is? Well, he, you got to consider the source. But according to J Mart, who generally is well sourced, <laughs> uh, he he called me a prick after I said what I said. I don't care about that. Yeah. I don't blame him. He he's you know he's frustrated and probably thought it was unhelpful. Yeah. Um, Someone who you know, but I won't say who, uh, sent me a box of buttons that said pricks for Biden. <laughs> uh, so I guess I'm the chair of that. But, um, uh, but that's great. That's going to be, that's, that's a great souvenir to have. <laughs> but, you know, I'm at a stage in my life where like, how old I really are you? give a shit? 68. And, you know, everybody in Washington sort of thinks that the most important thing is that you have the you know, the president likes you and that you get invited to parties and shit like that. I've been to plenty of parties. I, I worked in the White House. I'm not, look. you know, that's not, yeah. that's not the thing. And, and I certainly don't, I'm, I didn't say what I said to be injurious to Joe Biden, but I think the most, I guess I concluded that the most, um, and this was after the New York Times polls came out, which were, you know, quite jarring, that, um, I thought the, sometimes the most injurious thing is to say nothing at all. Do you think in any case, my role in life as a commentator is such that it requires me. I can't, I can't pretend, you know, what is, uh, I can't pretend that what is isn't, you know, when well, it's obvious. It's, it says something about our business that intellectual honesty is somehow, but you know what? A, it's also a, a function of my, of my role because you know, uh, I understand when, when I speak, um, people don't just think of me as a s- sort of strategist, uh, you know, or a, you know, commentator. They think of me as someone who was, you know, part of the Obama thing and so on. I, I guarantee you one thing. Uh, I do not check with President Obama when I say whatever I say. Of course. And yeah. he, uh, and I would never burden him with that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just speaking for myself based on what I see. Is uh, the Fort Des Moines, does this bring back memories? Was this, oh the, my was this the go-to hotel? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, but it was the go-to hotel for Republicans. This was the Republican hotel. 
back in the day before the big renovation, which is kind of I, nice, Carrie, No, I think Carrie used this too, though. He may have. I, I have some memories of some Carrie stuff here. I know. Yeah. I, I think I was over here in the bar, the name of which I for Checkers, um, uh, when uh, I think Howard Dean's group was in here in 2004. But um, yeah, man, Iowa has a lot of memories. A lot. Of, well, of course. We'll get in. We'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to, I was rereading um, Believer. Mm. Which, if listeners haven't read it, it's 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 Axe's excellent memoir of his forty Thank you. years in politics. Yeah, which uh, is now fifty, but yeah, or close to it. <laughs> right. So that yeah. point, what year did that book come out? So it's two thousand fifteen. Yeah, yeah it was right on the edge. Of yes, yeah. it allowed me to be um, more hopeful uh, than perhaps I would have been. Although, yeah, the ending would have been different in that book. It would have been, although. You know what? The great thing about history is there's never an ending. So yes. we'll see. The one let, Let's go back because it's very relevant to a lot of the um, stuff that's going on right now. Um, there's some great stuff in that book that I found so useful in thinking about the current campaign. August, September 2011. Yeah. Mitt Romney in the general election polls is beating Barack Obama by outside of the margin of error. Yeah. Obama's just had this very difficult uh, yeah. period with ha- with House Republicans and the and the uh, yeah the uh, debt-, debt ceiling uh, debacle that was the nadir really of the Obama years and there are some state polls that look very bad and things look grim I forget exactly what yeah. you write but there's some conversation I think you write at one point that even Obama had thought about yeah he might lose and he and Michelle had thought about like what they'll do mm-hmm. uh, if if they lose but that's very much in the ether. Um, and I have to say, I haven't read the book in a while, but I honestly don't think that I ever thought we were going to lose. I but never it was did. A, it was a it was a low point. Yes. And by, by September, the way that you write that account is you're really yeah thinking about this general election, yeah. and you you write a few important memos, have some important right. meetings in the White House. Can you just like to the extent you remember, take us back to that moment. Oh yeah, I mean, how similar it is to what the Biden folks are experiencing. Well, it's different because the opponent was different, the times were different, uh, the candidates were different. So, but um, you know what was very clear was uh, the economy was going to be the issue, Uh, and you know we kind of knew it would be because you can't go through the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression and not. Uh, and not have it define um, the next election. And that's why, of course, Romney on paper looked like the most formidable. And so we we were strategizing right from the beginning about what that race would look like. And we knew that we couldn't, uh, we knew that we couldn't win a race that was sort of where the question was framed, who is best position to run the macro economy. Yeah. You know, Romney had those credentials. Uh, but uh, he also was, and I say this as someone who's come to respect him and I, you know, really become friends with him. With Romney. But, yeah. uh, but he was, um, he was a uh, kind of uh, product of icon of whatever you want to call it, uh, an industry that was very, very suspect in the minds of Americans yeah. in terms of what their motivations were. Uh, and, um, you know, we thought that we, 
we could he would be emblematic in some ways of the financiers you know and i think it, you know I, he it may have been collateral damage in some ways but um we wanted to run a race about who was going to fight for the middle class who was going to fight for everyday working people in this economy and uh we drove that message every day and that's why you know, yeah that's why and that started with a job speech in front of congress in september yes of uh of 2011 and we never stopped yeah and it, you 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 to me reading that it made a lot more sense um and helped me understand what you've been saying more recently, because there's some there's some stuff which, when when you're writing that section where you really had to sort of um, grab, uh, not literally, but the, the you had to really let the president know that it's campaign time, and it's it's a different mode, yeah. and you, you talk about like the the day in day out messaging that had which to is start. by the way very hard in a presidency uh you know the presidency doesn't allow you to pick and choose the things you're going to have to deal with every day and uh so you know events intrude all the time uh when you're president and it's harder to keep your message on track and what it requires is uh, as much as possible elevating those things which animate your message and uh, downgrading those things in terms of your communications that don't really add to it. And look, I think what we all concluded was that presidents, yes, they, they need to make pronouncements and so on, but the most important thing is to, to have a narrative yeah. and to be true to that narrative and to be the storyteller, to tell people where we're going and why. And we hadn't done that well with it uh, up till that point, because in part, when we got there, I mean, there were people in the White House who really felt strongly that we needed to like win every day and announce things every day and show that there was progress being made. Rom, and, that was a big yeah, Rom I mean, thing. Rom's a yeah. big win every day guy. I mean, he and I used to put points on the board. I had, uh, you know, and you know, I we were just talking about him before we started recording. I, you know, he's one of my dear friends, and I. I mean, he's a force of nature, yeah. but part of that is that, you know, I remember this argument where he said, uh, I said, Ram, you know, we don't have to win every day. We have to win in the long run and we have to play the long game. And he, and he pounded the table and said, well, I need to win every day. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but the result of that is sometimes you have the president out there making sort of prosaic announcements and you know mario yeah. cuomo said you campaign in go uh in poetry and govern in in prose but uh there is a there is some poetry necessary in the presidency i mean ronald reagan was an example of that you know he yeah. he uh you never thought of him as sort of the announcer for the government i mean he told right. a story he was not narrating he washington he told a story yeah you know yeah. and um so uh, we told a it's story. This prime minister problem that uh, we used to t used to be discussed with with Obama, and then frankly with with Biden as well, right? Yeah. When you become the, the it's a trap that you have to resist. I never thought we were going to lose. I really thought we had a clear sense of the narrative, and that if we pounded away at this narrative, that we would that we would win, you know. Which I, I, I bring that up because it seems like what you were doing from like September to of 2011 to now and 
was just sort of um, putting some uh, uh, shock therapy into the, the 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 folks in the White House and the campaign that like it's time to run the reelection. Yes, now. yes, I, I and, that is true. Um, you know, but uh, uh, that that is true. But they also were receptive, you know, to it. And it right. Right. And uh, everybody kind of, I remember we had this big meeting, you know, in, uh, in September and like everybody participated, everybody understood like, yeah, it's go time. Yeah. And he, you know, he knew that as well. Yeah. So um, now let's, all right. So the, 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 I know where you're going. Well, yeah, of course, because it's so, um, it's just such a study in contrast when I was reading, reading that. And, you know, you've been very open about, as an outsider now, trying to get the Biden yeah. folks to do it's this. Irritating. I mean, I, I don't, one of my hesitations about it is I know what it's like to be in there, you know. And one thing about the White yeah. House is everyone is very generous with their advice, especially <laughs> when things are not going it, well. And it probably drove you crazy. But it did. And, you know, especially, you know, the emeritus strategists. Of which and I now am one, yeah. uh, telling you know the people who are actually on the field, you know, yeah. uh, and I, I understand how irritating that is. When I, I've said the things I've said, I've said them a because I thought they were true, and b, and that and that sort of required somewhat in the role that I play now, yeah. But also because I do feel a sense uh, of urgency. Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Actually, let's just take a step back. You've always been very independent-minded. Mm -hmm. um, I thought there's one part in your book where you write about, like, you almost didn't want to go and work at the White House because you didn't. always wanted to set up yes. your life in a way where you could say, fuck you, I'm I, leaving. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Obama said to me, I said, you can never tell the president of the United States to go fuck himself. And Obama said, uh, he gave me all the reasons why I should come. And at the end of it, he said, and by the way, you can tell me to go fuck myself, but you cannot do it in front of anyone. <laughs> did he ever? Did and you, I never did. You ever did. Have to do never did. Never yeah. did. Never did. I mean, he was a joy to work for. So you see a lot of prominent Democratic strategists who basically just, all right, sing from the the the, 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 the songbook and don't be a, a critic. Why did you think sort of clearly about like, no, my role is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be. Well, when I left the White House, I mean, one of the things is, I will forever be indebted to Barack Obama for the journey we took together from the time I met him to, to this day. But, um, I had actually had a life and a career before, uh, the election 2008. Yeah. And, uh, I was intent on reclaiming my identity. And my identity is, you know, as you know, I mean, I started in journalism and went yeah. into politics and, sort of had to have a foot in both worlds. And, you know, I started the Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago. I wrote this book. I started uh, working for first MSNBC, then CNN. 
Uh, and when I came to CNN, I, I had a conversation with Jeff Zucker and I said, listen, I do not want to be, you know, in a box arguing with some, you know, uh, pimply faced young Republican strategist about uh, Roe versus Wade, you know, and I, there, there are plenty of partisans out there who are really good at what they do, but I want to bring the value of 40 years of experience. Yeah. And if you want that, that's what I want to do. And that entails being analytical, uh, even about your friends. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm not looking to antagonize people who I like and I care about. And let me just say, you know, I honestly believe Joe Biden has done some things that will have historical meaning. I mean, the infrastructure bill and to, you know, and some of the healthcare things he's done and just leading the country through the pandemic and, of course, restoring some sense of dignity to the White House. I know that that people expect a hundred percent, you know, loyalty or whatever you call it. But, um, but that's not my job. And, uh, it's pretty obvious that there are challenges here. And it seemed pretty obvious to me when I um, suggested in early November that he think hard about what he, he's doing. I mean, I kind of thought it was 99% sure that that would not, uh, you know, mean anything. Uh, but what I mean, thought it mean also, mean anything? In well, words, in terms of, I, I think, I mean, I thought there was like a 1% chance that he would actually rethink the thing. But I did want to sort of help promote a conversation about this, ur the urgency of the moment. Yeah. And because um, it felt like things were moving slower than they should be. Why would a president give away all of the benefits of incumbency and open up the Democratic primary to this messy, internecine war mm -hmm. with all of this pent up energy on the left? You're suddenly going to have a lot of fraught debates about uh, uh, about immigration yeah, right. and trans rights. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be the billboard for the Democratic Party for, for six months. Um, why do that when, sure, Biden has some very, very obvious flaws, but any candidate's going to have flaws, but you, uh, most incumbents do get reelected and they know this uh, opponent and uh, they were successful um, right. in 20. And by the way, let me just say, they, they have a chip on their shoulder as they so, should because they, a lot of people did not, uh, yeah. and, and I, I, you know, I had, doubts, uh, you know, after he lost the first two primaries about or first two contests about what the f future would hold. So, you know, their attitude is, hey, you know, screw you, right. smart asses. We were right in 2020. We were right in 2022. Yeah. And we'll be right again in 2024. Campaigns are important, actually, to parties. Campaigns are important. And if people are saying, well, the Democratic Party isn't really strong enough to tolerate a campaign, that's that's a very bad message or we can't produce anybody but our eminent uh, but elderly um, uh, standard bearer. Um, I think that uh, there are plenty of talented people in the Democratic Party and ultimately um, those who can perform and who are up to it will rise and those who can't will fall away and the arguments will be made. And I, I actually think the Democratic Party is a uh, center-left party in the in its majority, and th that majority 
uh, generally prevails. Um, I mean, so I, I don't, you know, um, we, we've seen, by the way, in this campaign, we're sitting here in Iowa, we're a few days away from the Iowa caucuses. Uh, a year ago, uh, the, you know, the DeSantis folks were thinking, we're going to win Iowa and that will start us on the road to the presidency. Yeah. And the story today is he's hanging on, hoping to get second place so he can survive one more round. Yeah. Uh, and, and why? Because the campaign exposed him. Uh, as a camp, as someone who is lacking in some of the qualities that people are looking for in a president. Uh, so, so, so I think the process would have yielded a candidate. And I think any candidate, um, against Donald Trump would have a, 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 a puncher's chance of, uh, of winning, you know? Well, let me just put some pressure on that. Cause what the argument on the other side is, this is the the one group of people in the Democratic Party who know how to run a, cam- a winning campaign against Donald Trump is this group in, in the White House is Joe Biden. And they've kind of got the it, it's not going to be a mystery h- how, to, how to do it. Yeah. Right? So it's interesting, you know, how. Uh, I mean, I think that there is uh, a treasure trove of experience in that White House. I mean, one of the issues is it's all in the White House, uh, but and probably some of it should be sitting over at the campaign. Um, but um, so I, I mean, I have nothing but respect for the the uh, the w- wisdom and, and experience of people there. I think there is a little bit of a misunderstanding about 2020, at least from my perspective. Yeah, go ahead. And I think that there was a recognition. It mostly played out at the convention, by the way, which I think was the most message, uh, uh, intensive and, uh, well conceived message exercise that, um, of the campaign. And it was, you know, and the things that were stressed there were Biden's middle class roots, his faith, his co- attachment to the military, things that signified to people in middle America. Yeah. That, you know what? He's actually from here. He's one of us. And I think that was as much as anything would seal the deal. You know, um, uh, you know, his, some of his comments in, in debates about particularly, uh, well, in some of the presidential debates, but in, you know, he, he definitely separated himself out from some of the more, uh, vocal, elements of, of of the left absolutely um so all of that i think was but you know um i'm not sure that it was just about the soul of america yeah uh, i think it was about you know the 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 uh the the nature of the working class um and you know i hope they get back to some of those themes what does, i mean it doesn't look like they are um, – the sense of urgency that you wrote about in the fall of 2011 and the spring of 2012, as far as I can see, does not exist right now. Yeah, in, you in know, Biden I don't know. Works. I mean, I think you, there's – Do you disagree? I mean, the, well, I think that um, – Where's the daily, uh, everyday driving message? Where I think is that the they're getting there. It yeah. seems like they're getting there. Um, uh, you know, um, but the next – few weeks and months are going to be really, really important. And, you know, things I'll be looking for are some of those really talented people from the White House going to go over 
we'll talk about that issue. What's what? You know, I think some people say, well, aren't all elections always run from the White House? What's the issue there? So people understand that. I mean, it is a complex venture to run a campaign. Yeah. Um, and I will say, Jan O'Malley Dillon, who's sitting in the White House now, the Deputy Chief of Staff, she's got a sophisticated understanding of campaigns. And I think that she has a lot of influence over the campaign right now. But unless you're there day to day, and especially if you have a kind of challenging second job that requires a lot of time, uh, you know, including traveling with the president, um, uh, you know, wherever in the world he's going, uh, I think it's hard to do. Um, Mike Dolan is someone who I've worked with uh, you know, he was on our team in t- 2008 in the general election. Yeah. He ended up as a partner in the firm that I started, you know, the uh, media firm that I started. Really a really a brilliant guy uh, and um, good instincts and so on and very valuable. But he's in the White House right now instead of in the campaign headquarters kind of informing uh, what they're doing uh, every day. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just, in our campaign, you know, David Pluff, who, who David Pluff came into, who was my partner. You guys swapped. We swapped. Yeah. yeah. So he went from the outside to the inside and I went from the inside to the outside. Uh, but David, you know, is an incomparable political, uh, operative. And, um, so he was a liaison between the campaign. We all have been working together for years. He was a liaison between the campaign and uh, everybody was in Chicago. And we should. were communing with each other only about the campaign from minute to minute. And I think that uh, campaigns require that. What would be a setup that would be similar that you would suggest that they do here? Well, I don't know. I mean, every first of all, it's what the president requires. And he may yeah. want some of these people closer to him. Yeah. I don't know, but I, I, I know that, I mean, that, uh, they've got a campaign manager, but, uh. What is she empowered? Yeah. And, and even if she is, when you have an experienced player like Jen sitting in the White House, um. They're going to be, they're going to be running things. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, you know, if, if, if she's going to be running it in some capacity as chairman or senior, whatever, um, you know, you can't do that as sort of a, a side jam, you know. I'm trying to think of a delicate way to, to ask this, but Biden's performance issues. Mm-hmm. Um, how bad do you think he is as a candidate right now? And how big a deal is that in an election? Listen, I think Joe Biden has been um, a far, far more competent president than his ratings suggest. Um, and this is purely a function of, of how people see him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, these are communications issues and yep. they're, they're hard to strategize around, you know? Um, I mean, I thought he looked very strong in delivering the speech last week from yeah, Valley Forge. Yeah, one of his better ones. Yeah. Um, there are other times when he's on the run and it's kind of a, where, uh, much less so, you know, and these are things that are not, you know, they're hard. I mean, his gait yeah. and all of that stuff. These are the things where people say, well, why do you talk about that? It's like, you think this is a secret? If it were a secret, they wouldn't have 
the problems that they have, you know. I mean, these are there's so much artifice to to politics in some ways. I'm not sure what breaks through in the culture is really, really um, uh, a caricature of him that people like you and me who know a lot more about him and you, you sort of your preface was what a good president yeah. he's been. But what break what what breaks through is pretty, uh, you know, is Mr. Magoo. This is just an example, but I was in uh, L.A. recently. I saw I went to some comedy clubs, and that's always a very interesting way to get a sense of how politics is being interpreted by people who really don't pay much attention right. to politics, but which is want, most people want to do a few jokes. I mean, the Biden stuff. This is all you know, like most comedians in L.A., they're all liberals. It was just devastating yeah. the way that he was sort of caricatured and the sort of like just default view of his um, abilities. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that there's only so much you can do about that. But I do think that, listen, there is a story to be told because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always mindful of, um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a great, uh, media guy on the Democratic side, um, Saul Shore out of, uh, Philly, but he did a, uh, reelection, um, for for Ed Markey in Massachusetts, and as you remember, they, there was a there was a primary with uh, Joe Kennedy, who's a splendid guy, yeah, uh, young, vigorous, and good name, a good name in Massachusetts yes, politics. Yes, everybody loves a guy named Joe. So uh, so he uh, he uh, they did an ad in that campaign, and it was um, AOC. I mean, it was a primary, and she was very popular among. Uh, primary Democrats in Massachusetts. But the point of the ad was her saying, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like, it's not the age of the man that I, that concerns me, it's the age of his ideas. And that really struck me because I think it's uh, core. They should steal that. Yes, and I think that you, you know, when you look at the things that Biden is doing to sort of lift up the working class and people who are trying to be middle class. When you look what he's done on infrastructure, when you look what he's done and, and honestly in protecting, uh, and expanding rights and yeah. you, you, you get the picture of someone who has a vision for the future. And it seems to me that there's a story to be told about. Uh, that, that, you know, you have two old guys running for president. One of them is consumed by his past and the other has an eye on your future. Yeah. And, um, that's the choice. And I think to me, that's a compelling argument for Biden. You know, it transcends the, the sort of whatever concerns people have about his presentation and so on i mean look at the work product and uh and explain the work product in context don't don't i don't think he's ever going to win a referendum he's not going to win a report card contest i think he'd like that i think he's someone who likes that affirmation yeah he's never going to get the credit he deserves at least in real time but he people should at least know what he's working toward and what his yeah. vision for the country uh, is because Donald Trump's um, uh, is fully consumed by himself. 
and and his own problems and retribution. And he's a backward looking candidate. Yeah. And you know, Bill Clinton once said elections are about uh, always about the future. I actually think improbably the oldest president. Uh, can grab the future here if he talks about the project he's working on. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's all about democracy. That is a part of that. Protecting and, and expanding the power of our democracy is a future oriented project. But, uh, but it's not, it's not the sum total of it. It's what kind of lives are our kids and grandkids going to live in the future, climate, for example, is another piece of that. Everything yeah. you can fit most of his major initiatives under that umbrella. But he he seems so interested in convincing everyone that they're wrong um, about the economy that they didn't and that they well, didn't quite pay enough attention about yeah, how we the infrastructure fe- you know, look, law. We, we, and, and I think I've heard you say that even in the in the Obama administration, that was kind of a Biden thing that he he was the yeah, you know, he, yeah, the he architect was, yes, of recovery summer, yes, which was yes, I have said that, but uh, which was not but, considered but a lesson, success. But, but the lesson that we learned uh, through hard experience yeah. was you don't always get the credit you deserve right. in real time, you know, uh, and you can't um, sit there and you you can't jawbone people into feeling what they don't feel. Right. But you can talk about what the project you're working on, the, 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 the vision that you're working toward, and you can include the things that you've done in that, that vision as yeah. a work in project yeah. in, in process and um you know i i think that is um if i were making the 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 argument for biden that's the argument that i would be making because i think the the arguments that are most uh powerful are the ones that are true and i do think you know it's not just biden but his team yeah. have a vision and i'm not sure that's well understood now you know could you identify it well, I think the vision is of what I said, which is to build, uh, the, you know, a future that is more, um, uh, a, 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 to, well, to put it in the most, I mean, I would have to think about the embellishment of the words and so on, but it's basically to, in a, in a, in a, um, in a world that is changing rapidly and so on to build a stronger and better future for our kids and grandkids in which, and then you, yeah. I mean, right now the balance seems to be about 10, 20% that to, to the extent that there's actually a, a, a message. And then the rest is a warning about Trump returning to power. Well, I mean, I do listen, very I, I, powerful listen, message, listen, obviously. listen, let me make clear that, um, you can't, as I said earlier, you can't, this can't be a referendum. And part of that message has to be the contrast between a president, uh, you know, a flawed former president who is consumed yeah. uh, by the past and a pre- and, and a president who has an eye on the future. To me, that's the contrast you have to draw. And obviously, there are all kinds of things that come under those hoods that and, and a lot of what the yeah. communications, a lot of communicating that they're going to have to do is going to have to be about Donald Trump. Isn't that enough? Some people no, but that's why it has to be a contrast. Yeah, I mean, you do have you you do because if you don't have a uh, if you don't have a um, if you don't have this contrast, then it just becomes a battle of risk assessment, right? 
And I don't think you want to get into that battle. I'm, I'm struck by the, the other thing that uh, Clinton uh, once said was that strong and wrong beats weak and right. And uh, you don't want to get caught in that. And by the way, there is strength in having a vision and moving big things toward that vision, which Biden has done. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that he is, um, defenseless here. Yeah. Uh, I think that he has the ability to marshal a, 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 a winning message. Um, but, there, you know, campaigns are not won by particular issues. They're won by narratives. Yes. He needs a, a strong and repetitive narrative. I'm moved by the soul of America argument, but I also am mindful of the fact that Americans have challenges in their day-to-day lives, and they're probably not sitting around the kitchen table every day, yeah. uh, you know, pondering what the founding fathers intended. There's a democracy stuff you think is like a little too high. high I think high it's. A, in the sky. I think for some people it may seem like an indulgence, and they may think it's important. But they think. But meanwhile, you know, things are out of control. We need to get control of them. Yeah. I don't in any way, um, uh, you know, denigrate or, or diminish the importance of it because I. You know, I've spent my whole life, I'm the son of an immigrant, a refugee, and uh, I, I, I truly do, uh, I'm thankful every day for yeah. what America is and what America has meant to my family. I, I revere these institutions. I have since I was a little no, boy. No, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're only point is your only point is whether it's the, the Yeah, the, the question, that's issue. not the question. Yeah. The question is, as a practical matter, right. can you hang so much on it? Uh, you know, it may be that, um, they, um, they need to play a little less for history and a little more for, uh, the moment. Yeah. I get asked this all the time, so I'm sure you get asked it, uh, much more. What insights do you have into the, um, former president and president's relationship these days? I mean, look, I think they're friends. Yeah. I mean, I, they, they're, I saw. He, he went and, and, and sort of. Gave some of the advice that, frankly, folks like you have been giving. Well, you know, get the yeah. right. That, not, that I mean, I don't yeah. know. I wasn't in yeah. the room uh, when they whatever happened happened, so yeah. I'm not going to comment on anything that was said between them. Yeah, but what's but you? Uh, you but I, but I, you pick up things. But I, uh, all I can tell you is I, you know, watched the relationship between two guys who really didn't have one particularly. Yeah. I mean, Obama was the junior member of of Biden's. Uh, committee, committee yeah. at the time that, and suddenly the roles were reversed, uh, a little. And, um, you know, but I watched a friendship grow over time. And, uh, I think they're genuinely friends. Doesn't mean, look, presidents are men of ego, uh, you know, and they all yeah. are aware of their own legacies and so on. And that said, I think that there's a lot of respect between them and, you know, I'm sure whatever, Obama, whatever, yeah. whatever the President Obama said to President Biden, President Biden uh, took in, you know. David, thanks for doing this. I know you yeah, got, it's great got to, to run. Great, always great to chat with you. And that's our show. Our producer is Kara Tabor. Our senior producer is Alex Keeney. I'm Ryan Lizza, host and executive producer of Deep Dive. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Thank you to Chase Stein for field production in Iowa. 
Tell us what you think about the show or who you'd like to hear on Deep Dive. Email me at rlizza at politico.com. And please subscribe to Playbook Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.